Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. And they say that the biggest example that you can follow of someone who was able to do for those who could not do for themselves was that of Jesus. Jesus was very rich. Jesus was the son of the living God. Jesus was sitting up in glory. Jesus was there. And when it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And later on says that the word became flesh. So Jesus was up there in eternity and glory and he put on human skin and lived a life that we could not live and died a death that we could not die and became a perfect sacrifice so if he was willing to give all of that up for us we ought to be able to give up something for somebody else Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting with verse 7. That is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting with verse 7, and we'd ask all that are physically able to please stand. Hear ye the word of the Lord. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that through that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must also complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion of what you have for if there is first a willing mind it is accepting it is accepting accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have for I do not mean that others should be eased and you be burdened but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack that their abundance also may supply your lack that there may be equality As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. God's word for God's people, and God's people said amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to spend a little time today talking about give, because you have more than you think. Uh Uh-oh, Pastor, finna talk about money. Just just walk with me for a little bit, and we might talk about a little bit more than money. Just want you to take a moment and think to yourself. Don't necessarily answer out loud, but think to yourself. How much money would you need to have before you called yourself rich? 
how much money would you need to have before you thought you were rich? Uh, there were some surveys done uh, a while back, and uh, turns out that uh, they interviewed some investors who had over a million dollars in assets to themselves, and they didn't consider themselves wealthy. They were worth over a million dollars, but they didn't consider themselves wealthy. And so they surveyed over 4,000 people, all of whom had more than $250,000 in the bank, and half of whom had over a million dollars in the bank. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about uh, you, you, adding up your car and your house and, and your retirement. This is what they had sitting in their bank account. $250,000 and more than half had a million dollars and they didn't think they were rich. 40% of the people had more than $5 million in the bank and they did not consider themselves rich. This is not a joke. They did not consider themselves rich. And so you got to ask yourself, how much do you need these days in order to think of yourself as rich? Uh, most Americans apparently have little, if any, savings, and about half don't have enough stashed away that if they lost their job, they could take over three months of their expenses. And these people had $5 million in the bank and thought they were broke. Um... The survey asked the people what would have to happen for them to think that they were rich. And the number one answer that everybody gave was no financial constraints on their activities. Um, that's a shift from what was done in another one because the most frequent answer in 2008 was, was wealth level. And during that time, they found a bunch of people with an income of more than $100,000 did not think they were rich, but they thought that those who were making twice as much as them, excuse me, they were, were rich. So the problem was not how much money they had in the bank that made them think whether or not they were rich or not. How much money they had in the bank did not determine what they thought of themselves, what determined what they thought of their wealth level was the people around them making more. And so because there was somebody on the other side of them that was making almost double what they made, no matter what they made, they thought they weren't rich. Because they were always looking at somebody else who made more money than them. And instead of being satisfied with what they had and satisfied with the work that they had done, they started to look at the Joneses because they wanted to keep up with the Joneses. They say that we spend a bunch of time spending money we don't have to impress people we don't like who don't even care about us in the first place. Keeping up with the Joneses. Always worried about what was going on with somebody else's plate than what was, what was actually going on 
with their own plate. I remember going to a youth ministry training and, and everybody got to complaining about how they're, because they were in youth ministry, they felt like the senior pastor was treating them bad and, and that they weren't getting the amount of support that they thought they should get from the senior pastor over the youth ministry. And then I went to another training and there were some music ministries that were mad that they weren't getting the amount of support that they thought that they were getting. And then I went to another one and the ushers were complaining. I spent a lot lot of time at church conferences and they all sort of wrap around each ministry feeling like they are not getting the respect they are due but I go back to that youth ministry one that I went to and the, the, the facilitator of the youth ministry said you should stop complaining because for everything that you have and the stuff that you are mad about what you don't have there's another youth pastor in the area that would give their whole right arm to have what you had and that's not just true with youth ministry. That's true in life. I remember seeing an interview uh, where they were asking this young lady what she was going to do when she got to America. And she said, I just want to be able to take a bath. What we have is greater than what other people have. And sometimes we still want to complain about it. And so Paul was here in the second Corinthians writing to the church at Corinth. He was trying to get them to finish a job. He was trying to get them to finish something. They were preparing for a delegation to come visit from Macedonia. And they had started preparing because what Paul was doing as he set up these churches is he set up these churches and then he tried to have collections. And he'd have these collections for the people in Jerusalem because he had these collections for the people in Jerusalem because Jerusalem was where it was hot. Jerusalem, if this was a war, would have been the front lines. And there were people there getting arrested and beaten for claiming Jesus and thrown to fight lions and dipped in boiling oil and, and, and crucified upside down. So he needed some money. They were thrown into prisons where they would not feed them. These prisons did not give you three hots and a cot. If nobody was taking care of you in prison you would starve to death and so he was going around collecting money so that the saints in Jerusalem could keep spreading the gospel and so they had started this and he had boasted to the Macedonians about what the Corinthians were able to do and now Paul wants to be sure that the Macedonian when the Macedonian delegation arrives that he and the Corinthians are not embarrassed Titus reported back Titus went out there first to the church at Corinth and then he came back and said they are not ready but Paul needed them to be ready and so Titus, Paul is sending Titus back to help with the preparations. And I can, I, I, I can sympathize with Paul. I can sympathize with having to, to, to try to do something real great. And, and some of the people that are involved don't want to do it. And they are not ready. And sometimes you have to step out on faith and, and approach it in order to do it so that it can still be done. Uh, so they know that Paul is prone to congregation in Corinth, knows that Paul is prone to practical examples and suggestions. So they ask him for some, and he's going to give them some. The church at Corinth is asking Paul to make it plain. And by the time we get to what you hear in the scripture reading, Paul is telling these people why and how they need to give. 
Uh, Paul tells them that the church excels at so many things. And, and, and now that the church is really good at certain things, and because they're really good at certain things, I want them to be as good at some other things. Ah, he says that they, they excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge and, and diligence and they can do all of these things. They can recite some scriptures. They can preach a sermon. They can do all of these things. But can you also take care of your fellow man? Or, or, or is the church an exclusive club that is not open for membership right now? Uh, so we want you not only to be able to take care of yourselves, we want you not able to be able to recite all of the liturgy and Methodist traditions and all of these things, but can you also take care of your fellow man? Uh, true religion, uh, as, for the, as referenced by James in chapter 1, 25 and 26, is to take care of all the widows and the orphans of the world. That's pure and undefiled religion, taking care of those people who cannot take care of themselves. Uh, when they asked Jesus in Matthew 22, what's the greatest law? He said to love the Lord with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And a second law is like that, to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love people. Don't just love the people on your membership roster. Uh, and so he's saying that you excel at all of these things. You do all of these things great. Now let's try to do one more thing great. And he tells them to focus on the big picture. Uh, looking at verses 8 and 9, Paul talks about Jesus to let them know that they are part of the big picture. They are not just doing this for themselves. They are doing this to help others around them. They are doing this to help those people who are less fortunate than them. They are doing this to help those who cannot do for themselves. And they say that the biggest example that you can follow of someone who was able to do for those who could not do for themselves was that of Jesus. Jesus was very rich. Jesus was the son of the living God. Jesus was sitting up in glory. Jesus was there and when it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and later on says that the word became flesh so Jesus was up there in eternity and glory and he put on human skin and lived a life that we could not live and died a death that we could not die and became a perfect sacrifice so if he was willing to give all of that up for us we ought to be able to give up something for somebody else and so he was very very rich and he became poor and he did that so that he could make the spiritually poor people rich and so when you think about that you ought to be able to think about the rights of others taking care of those who can't take care of themselves helping those who might need a little more help helping those who didn't have all of the the accoutrements and all of the the plush and posh lifestyle of the things that we have had Oh, Pastor, I, I grew up rough. You here? There are those who literally don't know where their next meal is coming from. While we sit around and wonder, what are we going to eat? I'm tired of Papa Do's. I had Papa Do's last week. I ain't really feeling like going up to Golden Corral because Golden Corral is going to be packed. I kind of like Kelly's because Kelly's got the big portions. We thinking about where are we going to eat and there are people who don't know where their next meal is coming from. You are richer than you think. 
Uh, we, some of us have so many clothes that we have to go into the closet and decide what we're not going to wear as opposed to what we are going to wear. Some of us get to decide what car we drove to church today. There are those who are walking holes into their shoes. We are richer than we thought we were. Gas has been going up and I ain't seen nobody on the bus. We are richer than we thought we are. But it's all part of a plan because when you put that kind of mindset on people and when you put people, other people in a mindset that they are not human or they are, they are not uh, uh, worthy of it, it's okay to mistreat them. When you don't think of them as human, it's easier to mistreat them. Ah, we need to understand that. We also need to understand that there's a difference between a policy and a law. A policy is what a government or a ministry hopes to achieve. They are goals that are put in place. But laws are set out standards that must be followed. And the problem is going on that we have started to confuse policy with law. Ah, There are things that we need to understand and I've been doing some reading, not just in the Bible, but some reading and understanding what it exactly means to be United Methodist and all of these things that go on. And we have these social principles, Ah, rights of religious minorities and young people and the aging and the children and the women and the men and LGBT and people with disabilities and immigrants. Uh Uh-oh. Immigrants, uh, we, we recognize and embrace and affirm all persons. I'm reading the United Methodist Social Principles. That ain't just what I made up. This is what my bosses and my bosses' bosses have to adhere to as well. Those who all fly the United Methodist banner. Just, just FYI. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> we recognize and embrace and affirm all persons regardless of country of origin as members of the family of God we affirm the right of all persons to equal opportunities for employment, access to housing health care, education freedom from social discrimination we urge the church and society to recognize the gifts, contributions and struggles of those who are immigrants and to advocate for justice for all. We oppose immigration Policies that separate family members from each other that include detentions of families with children and we call on local churches to be in ministry with immigrant families. <clears throat> Civil disobedience. <clears throat> Governments and laws should be servants of God and of human beings. Governments and laws should be servants of God and of human beings. Governments and laws shall be servants of God and of human beings. Governments and laws should be servants of God and of human beings. Citizens have a duty to abide by laws duly adopted by orderly and just processes of government. But governments, no less than individuals, are subject to the judgment of God. Therefore, we recognize the right 
of individuals to dissent when acting under the constraint of conscience and after having exhausted all legal recourse to resist or disobey laws that they deem to be unjust or that are discriminatively enforced. Well, pastor, you call, you quoting a bunch of doctrine and stuff. Well, I got, I got some Bible for you. I got some Bible for you. Maybe instead of misquoting Romans 13, let, 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 let's go to Exodus 12 and, and, and 49. One law should be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. They repeat that again. In Le- that's Exodus. It gets repeated again in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Exodus 22 and 21, New King James Version, you shall neither mistreat the stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And that's repeated again, and that's Exodus, it's repeated again in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, Back in Exodus uh, 1, Pharaoh orders all Hebrew boys to be killed. He heard uh, 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 that something was coming, but Moses is spared. And Moses grows up and with the power of God goes back to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh has a meeting with the economic council of Egypt and they tell him uh, uh, that this great country was built on the backs of slaves. Woo, that sounds familiar. (laughs) But this great country is built on the backs of slaves and they can't get all they want done without free labor. Ah, and so God brings 10 plagues uh, to the people. There's blood and the water turns to blood and there's pestilence and there's boils and there's frogs and and those of us who grew up old school watching the Ten Commandments, we've seen all of that and and, and those of us who are a little new school that grow up watching the Prince of Egypt, we've seen it as well. All of these plagues came one after another and Pharaoh was cool with it. Whatever. Fine by me. What else you got? Ah, but when that tenth plague came, Uh, The death angel passed over and killed the Egyptian children, including Pharaoh's son. Then Pharaoh wanted to let the people go. So in other words, Pharaoh was out here. when, when, When you are trying to kill the Hebrew boys, when you are trying to kill these Hebrew boys, it's okay to separate them from their mothers and fathers. But when something happened to your own, now you're ready to go to war. It's okay for you to call somebody else's child rapist and the scum and put them in a gang that doesn't even start in Mexico, was started in the United States. It's different to call them the worst of the worst. It's okay for that. But if somebody says something about your daughter, you can't take it. You want action. You want folks fired. You can't take it. That's still in the Bible. We're supposed to be treating immigrants. Okay, well, pastor, you in the Old Testament. We under grace. Ah, 
Bless God, we are under grace. Okay, well, first off, uh, the, the New Testament ain't the New Testament without the Old Testament because the New Testament is a, is a fulfillment of the prophecies that were laid forth in the Old Testament. So you can't just dismiss more than half the Bible just because you like, don't like what it says. Okay, fine, I, I'll give you that. I got some New Testament for you. Let's go look at Matthew chapter 2. Ah, Herod, again out here trying to kill the babies. Both Herod and Pharaoh understood that if I want to affect a society, if I want to do damage to something, I will, I will affect the children. The grown folks have already gone. Their minds are set. You can't change them, but if I can get to the children, because if I can get to the child and make sure that they don't have any books in their house growing up before they get to kindergarten, they won't, they won't value reading, and they won't have a good uh, 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 vocabulary. And I can understand that if I can keep them from not reading at, at, at grade level until third grade, because you learn how to read kindergarten through third grade, and then you learn, how, you learn by reading for fourth grade on to high school and to college. But if I can get you off track as a child, you'll never get on track. And so that way, when you start failing reading and math and science in, 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 in middle school and your daddy ain't in the house, I can already count for your jail cell. Is, is the microphone still working? So both of them have understood that if you want to attack something, you got to attack the children. And so Herod has ordered the kids to be killed. And so Joseph and Mary got to take their baby to Egypt. First off, how do you hide in Egypt unless you look like the people that are there? But that's for another Sunday. But here you have people who are fleeing persecution immigrating to another country for protection just in case you was wondering where I'm at on these matters so we can't go out here and try to treat these people bad because we don't know what savior we may be turning away And if we really want to get technical about it, we are immigrants anyway. I mean, I got like what, like one sixteenth Cherokee in me or something like that. But but uh, uh, the rest of it ain't Cherokee. The rest of it came over. We are all in a foreign land. And so Paul is telling these people that you need to be able to give to people who are doing worse than you because you are better off than you think. Uh, and so I'm going to cut across the field and wrap this up. Uh, he, he tells them four things in the text after he talks about focusing on the big picture and being willing to give because Jesus, who was better than all of us, gave to us who were all worse than him so that we could be better off. Uh, he tells them to give knowingly. Let the church say knowingly. Paul asked them to finish what they started. Again, you are good at so many other things. But why don't you finish what you started? I urge you to be just as good as take, at taking care of the people as you are of taking care of yourself. 
Be just as good as that as you are as quoting a scripture. Be just as good as that as you are reciting some liturgy. Be just as good as that as all you are as knowing the discipline. Be just as good at that as you are doing everything else you excel at. Put that on just as high of a pedestal. Start what you finish. Uh, Nothing worse than uh, getting halfway through a project and not being able to finish. Some of us are still recovering. And one of the worst things I hear about, one of the things that I see infuriate some people is when a contractor comes in to try to repair and realizes that the job is too big for them, so they walk away from it. Nothing worse than that. Half your house you can still see through to the ground. Finish what you started. The same mindset that you take and approach to be good at all these other things, be good at giving. So give knowingly. Then he says also to give willingly. Let the church say willingly. Paul says it not as a command but of your own free will. You ought to want to give. That's why it says later on, we read in 2 Corinthians 8, but that's why it says in 2 Corinthians 9 that God loves a what? Cheerful giver. Give willingly. Don't let nobody browbeat you into it. You should want to give. You should want to give. And he wants to test it because there are churches when he talks about the Macedonians, the Macedonians are financially worse off than the Corinthians. But they still gave. Ah, and not only do you need to give willingly, you need to give realistically. Let the church say realistically. Uh, Paul says on many occasions throughout the text, not out of what you don't have. Paul is not trying to make them poor, but he's trying to establish some balance. He's trying to establish some equality. This was also to their benefit. Christians are supposed to live in community. Just because you have right now and somebody else doesn't have right now doesn't mean that later on they're going to have and you won't. The same people you're going to talk bad to on the way up may be the same people you got to see on the way down. Can I, can I get a little personal for you right now? I have sat on jobs where people have laughed at me for working that job came by because they were still in school, talked real crazy to me because I was working this job. But right when they graduated, they ended up having to work in the same job, on the same building, on the same floor. You got to watch how you treat people. Give realistically. Don't let this jump on your table. A tithe is 10%. Now, if you cannot afford a dime out of a dollar, there are other things that need to be worked on first. I'm not one of them that'll be, oh, I I sense a spirit in in the room. There's somebody that needs a breakthrough. I need a $500 line right here and a $1,000 line right here and a $2,000 line right here. That is not what I am talking about. Give realistically. But give. And give realistically because there will come a time where you need. It never fails. And if, it, and if you've never been in need, just keep on saying good morning. Eventually, you will come into need. Ah. 
And so you need to give knowingly. You need to give willingly. You need to give realistically. And you need to give confidently. Let the church say confidently. Uh, One of the Greek words that Paul uses is fairness and equality, saying that those who are in abundance should share with those in need and that we should share with those in need because someone else is willing to share with us. And uh, and along with this this pastoral understanding uh, 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 of the, the importance of caring for the people is to know that God is both near and far. Uh, Paul appeals to the Corinthians via understanding of grace. So you give confidently because we're not just talking about money. Uh, you give uh, uh, knowingly and willingly and realistically and confidently because we're not just talking about money right here. Paul was also talking about grace. He was talking about the grace that Jesus has given us. Here, grace is essentially the initial generosity of God, which we respond, respond with gratitude for God. And likewise, when we thank God by being generous to others, we, uh, we, we are taking our lead from God's generosity. God saw fit to give to you so you ought to be able to see fit to give to somebody else we have not gotten what we deserve we have gotten what we have been graced Uh, let me put it what we deserve is death hell and the grave what we deserve is a lake of fire but the bible says in romans 5 and 8 that god demonstrates his own love for us that while we were yet sinners christ died for us while we were yet sinners Christ died for us he did not have to do it but he did and even when he went all the way to the cross he could have decided at any time to call in 10,000 angels to stop it but he kept going because he was taking your sins and your sins and my sins and all of our sins and putting them on the cross and because he was willing to do that for us we ought to be willing to do for others In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come. Thank you for listening to this message. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you found this message. If this message blessed you, be a blessing to someone else and share it. Connect with Pastor Johnny on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to like Faith UMC Dickinson on Facebook.